and now the parable of the Good Samaritan. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Thanks, Cassandra. Appreciate it. This is a weekend as a pastor that I get excited about every year. And every time when I'm planning for this weekend, for this Martin Luther King Day weekend, I think, I'm really excited. I hope everybody else is too. But I realize not everybody gets excited about the same things I do. I've lived long enough to figure that out. But hopefully today... Um, With my excitement, I can bring you a little bit of a message that brings some meaning to you uh, and gives some inspiration. Um, On August 31st, 1967, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech at a conference uh, on new politics. We keep trying to do that every generation. Let's have a better one, a new one. There were like 3,000 people were going to this, and he was the keynote speaker. And the title of his speech was The Three Evils of Society. That's one of the things I want to talk to you about today, The Three Evils of Society. Um, But I titled the sermon, Dangerous Road to the Beloved Community. Beloved Community is an image, a vision, that Martin Luther King Jr. often talked about, about where he believed if we followed the path of Jesus, we could get there. We could become the beloved community, all of us across races and countries and differences and all kinds of things. 
And one of the stories he often used about what it was going to take to get us there is this good Samaritan story that Cassandra read for us today. And it's about a dangerous road. I don't know how many of you, I have not. My wife has been over to the Middle East on a a trip with a whole group of people one time. Um, But I know Martin Luther King was on this road that's talked about. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho, which was about 15, 16 mile winding road. And he often used this road as an image for what we need to do in our work for justice. And so we're going to speak a little bit to that as well today. The Good Samaritan story is one that, if we've been going to church most of our lives, we've heard a million times, probably heard preached on a million times. And even if we haven't gone most of our lives, people kind of know at least the general idea of the Good Samaritan story. And it focuses often very much about um, how we should be more caring for everybody. Um, The Good Samaritan was the least possible person who was going to reach out and help this man on the side of the road. Um, He was not the one, by stereotype, one would have expected. He was in foreign territory. He was not very accepted where he was. Um, And yet he was the one who reached across. So it's often a personal challenge to us on how we handle those situations. So, you know, I can apply it to the situation I had at my house the other day when we got this snowstorm on Thursday. I don't know what it looked like up here, but it ended up being a lot more than they said it was going to be down there. Never quite turned to rain, but it was a very heavy um, snow. Um, And um, so I went out and did some shoveling, middle of the day. Then I did some shoveling later in the day. Um, And then the next morning, on Friday morning, I said, it's time to get all the ice off the sidewalk and to finish the job here. And I'm out there working on it, and this guy walks by. And he says, excuse me, um, can I finish that for you for a couple of bucks? Yes, pay attention to what you're thinking in your head right now. Because, yes, this this is what happens to us. And normally I say, no, that's okay. And normally I'm thinking, uh, he's probably going to go over to the Senex station, which is only half a block away from us, and you know, buy some of that supercharged beer that they have there, or something like that. But for some reason I decided to say, okay. And so I said, just uh, ring the doorbell when, you, when you're done, and uh, you know, give you a couple bucks. Well, he took a few minutes and he finished it. And, and uh, I realized during that time that I didn't have a couple bucks. I only had a $10 bill. Now, I looked at our neighbor's house, um, which has been in the process of being renovated and uh, actually about to be resold. And so they hadn't done the sidewalk for weeks in front of that house. So I said, well, it's still not worth 10 bucks. But I said to the guy, and, and then I had to go do something to get ready for a meeting. And so I, I, I said to the guy, I'll tell you what, I'll give you this 10 bucks if you'll do in front of the neighbors. And uh, so he started working on it. And I went and did the things in the house I needed to do. It wasn't really watching close. And the next thing I know, he's gone. 
and most of the neighbor's sidewalk is still all iced up. I thought, my first thought was, he better not have taken the snow shovel with him too. He didn't take the snow shovel. He stuck back up to the porch and left it on the porch. But he took the $10 and didn't finish the job. Right? These little personal complexities is why it's very hard sometimes to be the Good Samaritan, right? Um, for sure. Because all of our thoughts and all of our expectations and all of our prejudices and all of our judgments and everything comes into play in terms of this. Um, but who cares? It was just $10. It doesn't really matter very much. Um, so that's all tricky enough. But for Martin Luther King Jr., he often would talk about this story and he would described this road that he had actually been on in detail. He said it's a winding road. And back then it was a dangerous road. It was one of those back alley kind of roads you wouldn't want to be caught on. And of course most people would be walking it in those days, right? And so it was a dangerous road. And he says, it's not enough help somebody out and throw a few coins at them to help them get through the fact that they got robbed on this dangerous road. Did you notice it's a dangerous winding road? Is it good enough to help somebody out and not do anything about making the road safe? So it's not so dangerous? This Good Samaritan story for Martin Luther King Jr. motivated so much of what he did to bring people together to work for justice, to make the world a better place. He didn't want to just help a person here or there. He wanted things to get restructured. He wanted the road to get rebuilt, beautified, whatever it would take to make it a safe road for everyone that was going down that road, no matter when they were going down that road. And that is a much bigger challenge even than what I dealt with with the guy out in front of my house. You know? What's the structural things going on that he's dealing with that has put him in whatever situation that he's in? So, as Martin Luther King went along, he realized a few other things as well on this dangerous winding road. He realized things were even more complex than he saw. So by the time he got to this speech on the three evils of society on August 31st, 1967, just, what, nine months before he was to be assassinated, um, by the time he got to that point, he began to realize that the work he was doing it was too limited. And so by this time, he realized the injustice that was happening in the Vietnam War, and he realized the injustice of war in general, that the very people that get put down to the bottom of society are the people that we put into our wars. And we go into other countries and other places around the world, and often the result of these wars puts the people who are already down, down even further and they become the casualties of it. 
he also began to realize that poverty was something that was linked to all of these other power dynamics in our society that caused people to be prejudicial and hated and to structure things so that the privileged would have more and those who had less didn't get very much. He began to realize these things were all connected to one together, to one another. And so this is one of the speeches where he begins to really link them together. So I ask you, what comes to your mind? What do you think the three evils of our society today is? Do you like that question? Anything come to mind? What was the first thing come to mind? Silence. Silence. Greed. Greed. Indifference. And I'm sure if we took the time, we could go on and on and on. These are the three that Martin Luther King Jr. named. I don't think he would disagree with any of them that you're speaking. And I wonder if you would think that the ones he names are still um, significant evils of our society, of our world today. Racism, of course. Materialism. He actually uses in the speech the word extreme materialism. I think he's trying to say that not all material things or needing or wanting them is bad, but Greed maybe is a really good word to talk about when it becomes extreme. And the third one, and probably the most controversial one, is militarism. You know, the more Martin Luther King Jr. got involved in nonviolent action for justice, the more he understood that violence, even for a good cause, rarely ever solves the long-term problem of violence. The violence breeds so much that leads to more violence. But he was also especially upset when he saw the connection between all of these evils, that we were spending so much money justifying what we did in the military, and so little money and time for those who are really hurting and down and out in our society, those who are poor, those who had no power, those who were down. And so for him, these all became linked. You know, for the last few weeks, it's a very long book, I've been reading this book, I might have mentioned it once before, called Jerusalem, the Biography. And it goes all the way, all the way, all the way back thousands of years and traces things that are happening around the city of Jerusalem. And um, it, it's kind of pretty amazing. It's kind of interesting with the Good Samaritan story because this is a story that starts in Jerusalem, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. But Jerusalem is a city that's a microcosm 
of all the evils of our society over history and why we can't seem to get ourselves to the beloved community. Yes, first it was a place where Judaism rose up. And then a place where we celebrate, just celebrated at Christmas, Christmas, where Christianity became a center in Jerusalem. And then hundreds of years after that, the Islamic faith comes along. And by the time you get through all of that, even when it was just Jewish focused against secular powers, there was always struggles for those who were in power and dominating the Jews, and even among some of the Jewish leaders at times. And the problems were almost always solved through violence. Behead your enemies was a common thing to do. You know? Then Christianity comes along and it becomes involved over history in the same sort of things. Decisions around Christianity were often made with kings and princes sitting right there and saying what would be the best way to proceed with Christianity. And of course we know about things like the Crusades and all of that sort of thing. And then Islam comes along and it's the same thing and it just seems to continually get more and more complicated where problems are constantly solved through violence and through eliminating those who are in power by others who want to be in power because they're wrong and we're right. How do we ever get to the beloved community that Martin Luther King wanted us to talk about? So, I want to read you, because this is a little bit of the vision, and you're going to hear in this, um, I'm going to read you the last section of the speech that he gave on the three evils of society. Um, And you're going to hear some things in here that resonate right to today because in this human struggle, just like in Jerusalem and in the whole Middle East where it's been going on for thousands of years, it's going on forever within our human hearts and within our human societies and systems that we've created. And you're going to hear some obviously historical references that don't necessarily are not today, they're just history. But I think there's some value in, in hearing a little bit of speaking to the evils, but also speaking to the vision for the beloved community. So we are here because we believe, we hope, we pray that something new might emerge in the political life of this nation, which will produce a new man, new structures, and new institutions, and a new life for mankind. I am convinced that this new life will not emerge until our nation undergoes a radical revolution of values. When machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people, the giant triplets of racism, economic exploitation, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. A civilization can flounder as readily in the face of moral bankruptcy as it can through financial bankruptcy. 
A true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. We are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside. But that will only be an initial act. One day the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that the men and women will not be beaten and robbed as they make their journey through life. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It understands that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. With righteous indignation, it will look at thousands of working people displaced from their jobs, with reduced incomes as a result of automation, while the profits of the employers remain intact, and say, this is not just. It will look across the ocean and see individual capitalists of the West investing huge sums of money in Asia and Africa only to take the profits with no concern for the social betterment of the countries and say, this is not just. It will look at our alliance with the landed gentry of Latin America and say, this is not just. A true revolution of values will lay hands on the world order and say of war, This way of settling differences is not just. This business of burning human beings with napalm, of filling our nation's homes with orphans and widows, of injecting poisonous drugs of hate into the veins of people, uh, of people's normal, uh, humane, of sending men home from dark and bloody battlefields, physically handicapped and psychologically deranged, can not be reconciled with wisdom, justice, and love. A nation that continues year after year to spend more money on military defense than on the programs of social uplift is approaching spiritual death. So what we must all see is this, that there are revolutionary times. All over the globe, men are revolting against old systems of exploitation, and out of the wombs of a frail world, new systems of justice and equality are being born. The shirtless and the barefoot of the earth are rising up as never before. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. We in the West must support these revolutions. It's a sad fact that because of comfort, complacency, a morbid fear of communism, and our proneness to adjust to injustice, the Western nations that initiated so much of the revolutionary spirit of the modern world have become the arch-anti-revolutionaries. This has driven many to feel that only Marxism has the revolutionary spirit, and in a sense, communism is a judgment of our failure to make democracy real and to follow through on the revolutions that we initiated. Our only hope today lies in our ability to recapture the revolutionary spirit and to go out into the sometimes hostile world declaring eternal opposition to poverty, racism, and militarism. With this powerful commitment, we shall boldly challenge the status quo and unjust morals and thereby speed the day 
When every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked places made straight, and the rough places plain. May I say in conclusion, there is a need now, more than ever before, for men and women in our nation to be creatively maladjusted. And I say to you that I choose to be among the maladjusted. And many, he refers to a good friend of his who was a UCC pastor, actually. Um, as my good friend Bill Coughlin said, there are those who have criticized me and many of you for taking a stand against the war in Vietnam and for seeking to say to the nation that the issues of civil rights cannot be separated from the issues of peace. I want to say to you tonight that I intend to keep these issues mixed because they are mixed. Somewhere we must see that justice is indivisible. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And I have fought too long and too hard against segregated public accommodations to end up at this point in my life segregating my moral concerns. So let us stand in this place knowing that on some positions, cowardness asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And in some positions it's necessary for the moral individual, individual to take a stand that is neither safe, nor politic, nor popular. But he must do it because it is right. And we say to our nation tonight, we say to our government, we say to our FBI, we will not be harassed, we will not be a butchery, we will not make a butchery of our conscience, we will not be intimidated, we will be heard. A few months later, Martin Luther King Jr. was silenced because he had the courage to continually go down that dangerous road and not just help the beggar on the road but figure out what needed to change so the road could be rebuilt. He was silenced because he knew as a follower of Jesus it was possible for us to have a beloved community that the answers that were being given whether it's through governments or other powers we're destroying us instead of making us safe. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., pastor, revolutionary, courageous person of faith, a martyr in the name of Jesus Christ, his vision lives with us what will we do as we go down the dangerous winding road? Amen.